0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 54 of Bo Nose Stuff. I'm excited to have here with me Daria Oler, uh, who is a physical therapist and athletic trainer. Always a fun combination, something I came close to doing a long time ago, but chose a different path. She's a clinical physical therapist at Proactivity in New Jersey, and I really love their concept as we talk about it. They're an outpatient clinic and an on-site uh with employer clients. Uh, So she specialized in working with dancers and athletes and in prevention and health promotion. She is also an athletic trainer and has worked in clinical research and education settings. She contracted COVID-19 in March 2020. It continues to affect her daily life, including her ability to participate in and pursue her passions for dance and running. She is one of the founding members of Long COVID Physio. They have a great podcast if you want to check that out as well. And she has been sharing a lot of her lived experience on social media. That's where I found her on Twitter. We talk about a lot of those concepts. Uh, Before we jump into the episode, I want to give you guys some exciting news. I've opened up enrollment in my 13-week transformation program where we're focusing on building better habits to set you up for a physical retirement plan of success. A lot of current programs that I see out there do not think about all five of these concepts that we're focusing on here. Um, but i put a lot of work into making sure that your movement, nutrition, recovery, mindset, and connection are all moving in the right direction to ensure you are looking, feeling, and performing better than ever. If you want to learn more about that, there should be a link in our show notes here uh, or the bio, wherever you're listening to this. And if you want to learn more and you don't see that link, just set up a free call with me at calendly.com slash fitcare, F-I-T-C-A-R-E. If you care about your fitness... You can stay out of that healthcare system. So, uh, checking out or checking in here with Daria on Tap Physio, and uh, enjoy the conversation, guys. And hope to hear from you soon. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, sh- uh, leave a comment, review, rating, all that good stuff. If you got some value out of it, hope you have a great day, and hope you get one percent better today. We are live here we are with Daria Oler. So not Daria, holler. (laughs) Don't holler at her, Daria. All right, Uh, I'm going to read her bio real quick, guys. Welcome to Bono Stuff. We got Labush in the background. Hopefully I do not get copyright infringed. So she is a PT, DPT, athletic trainer, ATC, uh, currently a clinical physical therapist at Proactivity in New Jersey in both an outpatient clinic and on-site with employer clients. She specializes in working with dancers, athletes, and in prevention and health promotion, which is one of my favorite areas for sure. She is also... An athletic trainer and has worked in clinical research and education settings. She contracted COVID-19 in March 2020, uh, which I noticed her talking a whole lot about on Twitter, uh, through the PT Twitter sphere. And uh, that's where we are today. It continues to affect her daily life, including her ability to participate in and pursue her passions for dance and running. Uh, I so saw you posted about the 5k, I want to ask you about that. And uh, she is one of the founding members of Long COVID Physio, uh, which I listened to one of their episodes, uh podcast. And that is that's not just a podcast, right? That's a whole platform yep yep yeah and and yeah. she has been sharing her lived experience on social media with all that so we're gonna jump into it and and uh, I know you kind of wrote that but did we miss anything major other than the oh, 90s dance music yes 90s dance music is
1: my favorite no that's that's it that's me in a nutshell
0: awesome awesome um, and since we're talking 90s and we're bonding over 90s you could do the Austin powers joke with the this is me in a nutshell help I I'm forgot. in a nutshell
1: I forgot yeah. about that
0: anyway. anyway. <laughs> I hope uh, everyone who was listening does continues to listen because we have some interesting stuff to talk about. So, uh, yeah, do you want to jump right into telling us a little bit about your COVID experience uh, over a year ago, March 2020, getting it and and recovering from that? A little bit of that timeline.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm in I live in Northern New Jersey and I work in New Jersey, New York City. So I was in like a hot zone for COVID. Um, so I became symptomatic. I'm saying March 16th that is the day I started to feel very run down and achy and just not great. And at that time we weren't allowed to go to the doctor because in the area that I'm in, it was really bad. So you're only supposed to go to the doctor if you were dying. Um, so we, I kind of self-managed and most of the symptoms were very breathing related. My chest was very tight. Um, I would get short of breath talking, just walking around my house, just not feeling great. And the symptoms just never went away. So the lung pain, the chest pain stayed, the shortness of breath had stayed. And I tried to start pushing back to get in. I dance and I run, so I was trying to get back to those things, thinking that I was like easing in, that that was the right thing. Because as PTs, we do graded exercise, and we wanna push and push. And then by the time it was early July, I had been working from home, so we got back on site with some employer clients and I just crashed. I had no idea what was happening. And I didn't know about post-viral illnesses. So I didn't recognize all these red flags that were happening. Um, And that's, so that is the long COVID. But at the time that people were just starting to recognize it and like really speak up about it. So in addition to like the respiratory symptoms that I was focused on, I started to experience brain fog, um, just a lot of like confusion, difficulty remembering, difficulty. I was meeting a lot of new people now. So putting faces and names, remembering everybody was really difficult. Um, I cannot explain the fatigue. Beyond like I've had mono. This is mono is nothing compared to this kind of fatigue and just not feeling right <laughs> is the best way to explain it. Like really things are off. I developed dysautonomia. So I explained that like I feel like I need to lie down right now. I'd rush out of the shower and just lay down because what I'm, I didn't check, but I'm assuming that was my blood pressure <laughs> dropping. My heart rate would go up um, and just pushing through that for a few months until some lovely PTs who specialize in myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue reached out from Twitter and said, you need to stop what you're doing and sent me some great resources to start understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where I had to stop running. I kept dancing a little bit um, just for my own like mental well-being, but stopped running, stopped any formal exercise, tried to cut back on whatever I could to minimize physical exertion, um, cognitive exertion and emotional exertion. And so that was 16 months ago, yesterday Mark, 16 months since I first got sick. And the overall, like like to sum it up, like my general trajectory right now seems to be improving, but there's a lot of like ups and downs. Many of us feel like we're getting better and then all of a sudden it'll crash again. It tricks you all the time. Like it makes you think you're better and you're not. Um, so it's learning how to sort of manage symptoms, prevent things. And through Twitter, which is PT Twitter has been amazing. A lot of us PTs with long COVID have found each other internationally. So like you're saying, we have our group Long COVID Physia. We are a peer support group. So we have a Facebook group, only PTAs and PTs and some other allied health professions can join. You have to have Long COVID. And then we also do a lot of education and advocacy, which we'll get into. We have all kinds of stuff that are going on to try to teach other people about how to recognize Long COVID, how to help clinicians, how to help patients.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, good, good. Uh, let's thank, uh, be grateful for... Uh, this internet thing that we have access to, because who knows uh, where where we would have been, whatever, thirty years ago, uh, or even in the '90s, and you have to dial up the AOL and beep, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could do the whole noise thing. Uh, as we continue to run through the '90s, as a as a as a jokey part to this very serious topic, um, I love the
1: '90s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that you remember that series? That was a great series. I love the '90s on VH1, and I, that was, yes, I, and I, I love the that.
1: '80s. Yes. That one was good. <laughs>
0: Um, but I do want to ask, cause I rec- I got COVID this March, uh, 2021, wow. and I was having followed you on Twitter. I was very worried about long COVID and, and returning to play too soon, um, mm-hmm. and returning to, to things. So I, that was one of my biggest concerns because you make it sound really bad. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was a little concerned about that. So maybe help us understand the documented and, and, and best research around, um, you know, what are some of those symptoms that we should look out for if you get COVID? And, and also, yeah, what can we do maybe to to mitigate the risks of, of getting
1: that? Yeah, well, oh, these are good questions. Yeah, so... Um like I was saying that it there were for me and for a lot of us, there seemed to there's like a shift. Like there was those acute symptoms that kind of seem to linger a lot of like cardiac, um, respiratory things. And then one of the hallmark things that not for everybody with long COVID, but it's fairly common, is what's known in chronic fatigue as post-exertional malaise. Or we're saying post-exertion symptom exacerbation. So what that means is like you have exertion, physical, emotion, cognitive, whatever it is. And that sets off symptoms. This is not just like, oh, you know, I kind of feel groggy, like you are physically ill again. Some people get fevers. <laughs> um, for many of us, like we literally can't get up. like there's points I can't speak. I am just i I can't explain how just done I am. I can't pick my head up. Um and that's a hallmark. So it's very different than, I'm just a little tired. I'm a little run down or the way you'd work out and just have like doms or something the next day. And it can happen within 48 hours. So that's hard. It's not always immediate. So it's Mm -hmm. not always easy to recognize. I feel like this right now because I did this two days ago, Mm
0: -hmm. but that's a
1: really common one. The dysautonomia is very common too. And so that we're learning from other like, um, again, from chronic fatigue and other conditions that have it seeing really weird reactions and heart rates. Mm. There's like, you'll see on Twitter, all these, like, we, we joke about it. Like, I forget who said it. And they're like, no Fitbit. I'm not exercising. I'm just Mm. brushing my teeth. Yeah. Or like you literally just stand up and like, you'll see heart rate spikes. Um, I'm in a Facebook group for endurance athletes with it and a runner. I just saw it today. So something like he was explaining, like he was feeling better because, he like cooked dinner and washed the dishes and didn't collapse? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like we're really like exaggerating. And it's, that's, it's, that's the truth. Yeah. So those are, those are some of the, the really big things like the dysautonomia and the post-exertion symptom exacerbation. And then the, the, all the other symptoms, there's such a huge range. There's like 200, literally 200 documented symptoms. And it goes like mm. saying, the fatigue. Um, there's a lot of body ache, muscle ache, joint pain kind of things. Um, and when you're rolling out other possible systemic causes of that, there's the continued um chest tightness chest pain lung pain shortness of breath there are people with chest pain but all their cardiac tests are fine so it mm-hmm. doesn't there are people who can have cardiac damage but not everybody um with long covid has that there's hair loss that's happening um there's there i've, I've read many posts especially for women on that who are literally shaving their heads because the hair loss is getting so bad mm. i don't know if you could hear for me like my voice is raspy and I've read two different things on this where one, some people seem to develop that hoarseness, like kind of right off the bat. Yeah. Like it's an early symptom or in my case and other people, because we literally don't have like the power coming from our diaphragm and in our lungs to project. So I end up like really straining my voice. So now there's like a rasp in it. Um, well, I I mean, This, I can is, this is the there's first time
0: I've heard your voice. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it used to be like, but, but I got you there. So I guess that it, it takes me to the question of, well, two questions I have, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure I come back to the first one, but the second mm-hmm. one, which I'll ask first, cause that's how I roll, uh, is, so what do we know? And do you know, uh, what makes, what ends up being long COVID versus, uh, causing kind of short COVID? Cause like, for me, I'll just say real quick is I had a bacterial pneumonia cause, um, I was on day nine or 10 of testing positive <clears throat> after my wife had given it to me. Thank you, wife. Um, so, and she had like two days of, of, flu-like symptoms, uh, uh, sinusitis type stuff. Mm-hmm. And she lost her smell and taste, uh, but she was kind of fine. Uh, and I was feeling really good when she was sick. Uh, and then uh, after nine, day nine or 10, we were uh, you know, checking what we know about COVID and mm-hmm. uh, that's available to us at the time. And so it said, if you're still experiencing fever uh, and coughing, which my fever and coughing were getting a bit worse on days nine and 10, uh, that's when I went to urgent care, got a chest x-ray, uh, had a bacterial pneumonia, which is better than a viral pneumonia. So I don't know if there's something there where maybe you can tell us uh, if you know the difference. Uh, the viral is like the COVID-y, like really bad, yeah. possibly going to the hospital um, versus uh, bacterial, obviously affected me, but was able we were able to knock it out with two antibiotics. So luckily I had that version. Um, yeah. My lungs are still affected three months later, but for me, I'm, and I don't wanna compare, apples and oranges here but but yeah I mean I'm just still mm-hmm. limited um more on the high end and again like I'm back to you know I got I did like a month pretty much a recovery and then I got back to doing like CrossFit three times a week and and mixing oh, wow. in some cardio and again I would say I was really lucky in terms of how much it affected me but I'm worried about long-term stuff for sure yeah. but, but in terms of how somebody do we know how somebody uh develops long versus like short if we want to call it that no
1: yeah yeah there's no set thing just right
0: now um unlucky draw Unlucky. there's
1: draw. It, it literally evidence is coming out daily um mm-hmm. there's some big things that just came out from the cdc and um world physiotherapy just had a b- big briefing paper that long code physio helped with that's we're looking at all this different um evidence all the time and earlier things were showing like women were more likely to develop it but i f- if I remember part of this is also like the brain fog is memory things. And I'm trying to remember all the stuff I read, but there's something this week that they were showing not as big of a gap between men and women for developing Mm -hmm. it. But one theory when, when you do see if it's women more like women are more likely to have autoimmune things. So maybe that's, you know, like there's, there's even theories on just men versus women and women are more likely to push through stuff and keep going versus men. And they're like man cold kind of on the couch, which might be really beneficial. We're learning (laughs) to actually rest when you're sick. Um, There's thoughts that it could be somebody could have already been predisposed to say have an autoimmune condition Mm -hmm. and this was just pushed it over. Um, I had mono and then it reactivated years later. So they're looking or things like that. There's enough of us that have had mono or something similar that that might be like predisposed people. But there's no set thing right now. Okay. What I see with the PTs, at least, this is a very specific group of the PTs, with um, right. long COVID. We ha- all have that same personality. It's like type A, go-getters, very driven. So probably most of us didn't rest enough in the beginning, especially sure. those of us who got it in like the first wave when we didn't know anything. Um, so that might be a predisposing factor, but there's no set thing right now.
0: Yeah, I I would, I would either. imagine there's a confirmation bias for yeah. that personality <laughs> type also being yeah. the ones who are more likely to go on Twitter and be... Right. So there's definitely something there yeah. if we wanted to go down that path. But yeah. uh, the other, the other kind of thought that takes me to is, um, I guess, opening up the, the 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 big controversial concept of, and I don't think it should be as controversial as it is, but the vaccine. So did mm-hmm. you get the vaccine? Uh, do we know, yeah. kind of, you know, what what what's going on there?
1: Yeah, that's been a mix too. So back in December, January, within our PC group, we're like, do we get it? What do we do? There's no evidence it was brand new right. right there's there's no evidence on just people in general um so within the pc group within long COVID physio we've seen a mix like i had a normal response my first time my arm was sore it's second time i just got a little achy like there was that was fine Um, but there's genuine concern some people have gotten a flare-up of symptoms either mm-hmm. they cr- what we call crashes um either they crash from it or just symptoms seem to get exacerbated some people felt better like i actually felt really great after the first yeah. one and i and I thought this is weird, and then that started getting reported. For me, it was short lived, right? But there's no, there doesn't seem to be any general consensus on that either. Mm-hmm. But it is a big concern where you're weighing the risk between: can I contract COVID again? What happens if I do? Right. Is it going to be worse? And then on the other end, can my body tolerate the like the physiologic stress of having a vaccine?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I of mean, if, if you got better, my my amateur theory would be you know, your body was finally adapting to the that, that kind of like reset almost, I would think. And you're kind of hitting it with that, you know, a little bit of a hormetic response, if you will. And it was able to say, oh, like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> and hopefully that was kind of the helper. But yeah, like you said, it was short lived and who knows, but yeah.
1: Uh, one of the theories on long COVID is f- for some people, again, this isn't everybody, it could be a viral persistence that your body just mm. never fully cleared the virus in that acute mm. phase. And right. that could be why the vaccine is having an effect on some people, but maybe not others if they're having the autoimmune response.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And did you, other than the mono, did, do you know, or did you have all the, like, there's a lot of autoimmune stuff that could be going on. Uh, you, mm-hmm. did you go through some of that more thorough testing at all or?
1: And like, like previously I, I, outside of like, you know, again, like mono minor stuff, like I'm perfectly healthy. I haven't gone through like any other testing, which actually I'll explain because this is um, good to know. So like I said, in the beginning, we couldn't go to the doctor. It was not good where I was living. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I was kind of figuring out how to manage and watching what other people were doing on social media and getting told that they were fine when they clearly weren't fine. But, on the other end of it, like their basic diagnostic tests were all negative. Blood work was negative for people, you know, so they're, unless some people do have some um, positive test results, but a lot of people, every all this, everything was coming up fine. And I was just like, I don't wanna go through that and be told that I'm crazy, that it's in my head. Cause that happens to women already. And now it's yeah. even worse than pandemic. Um, and then I kind of told myself, right, January, I'm getting insurance, I'm gonna do this. And just signing up for insurance, picking a plan, just yeah. going through the prompts, was so much for my brain. <laughs> and my mom calling me multiple times a day, did you sign up? Did you sign up? And it was just such a difficult, which sounds silly, but such a difficult process for me just to pick a plan and that there right. wasn't even that many options I was picking from. When I looked at the list of primary cares and how do I find someone who knows long covid that I'm not going right. to get stuck um and then uh, there's a list, like there's websites that have lists of the long covid clinics, they all have like giant waiting lists now. So I've been kind of like now I have a good handle on where I'm like I think mm. I have this so I haven't, yeah, I don't, I haven't had any diagnostic tests.
0: That's fine. I'm, I'm curious though, uh, how familiar are you with functional medicine? And like, do you know any functional medicine doctors? Not so much.
1: Mm, I know a few people have mentioned it to me in passing, but yeah. I don't
0: know much about it. Uh, I'll just, I'll give a quick shout out. Uh, I had a guest on, uh, recently, Pam Jacobson, who's a nurse practitioner in California. She's a functional medicine practitioner. So functional medicine just goes through. A very it's it's different than conventional medicine. It's a m- much more thorough look. Um, you're working with that practitioner multiple hours to go through a bunch of blood work, a bunch of different hor- hor- uh, hormone testing, and things like that. Where uh, again, I think th- the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'd be very curious, and and I might go back now as we're exploring this concept, and maybe go speak with uh, folks like Pam about uh, maybe what they're finding with because mm-hmm. so like so she's able to detect an autoimmune. Thing that again, uh, it's it's looking for optimal range it's not just oh you're within the normal range. And again, what's the okay. normal range when you go to your normal, uh, you know, PCP or whatever, uh, a primary care physician for, for those who don't know the lingo, um, you know, and, and they're going to say oh you're within the normal range. But now we're talking about I want to be in the optimal range. You know, vitamin okay. D for instance, uh, the 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 reference range I'll say is thirty to one hundred uh, for most folks. And if you're at thirty one, they might say oh like you're a little low. Uh, but it's like, you're nowhere near optimal is like 50 to 60. So, you know, yeah, we need to get you up there as fast as possible to get your health booming. Um, but yeah, bottom line is, uh, I think they define things differently where again, most other endocrinologists are going to be like, yeah, you're fine. Um, and again, that's no disrespect to them. I don't want to talk trash about anyone. It's just a broken medical system that I think we can all agree is, is a thing. Um, and, and everyone's doing their best. (laughs) but some people are able to do it different ways. And again, that's stuff I certainly am always exploring. Um, I do think functional medicine needs to come uh, to the forefront in in the near future. And so that's where I wanted to at least bring it up in there and yeah. I don't want to I don't want to dominate the conversation
1: um <laughs> I've seen some people bring it up on social media with long COVID specifically and a lot of that seems to be like I mean we'll you know start in like a traditional medicine route and then just not getting answers being told that yeah. they're fine knowing that they're not fine like it's just you you can feel you're not yourself and I've gone that route and it's again it's been like across the board there's been a whole range of people's responses to things and it's been neat to watch Whatever someone's choices and whatever practitioners they're seeing, what mm-hmm. they're trying, their right. responses. Um, is the responses. One of the long COVID physios, Darren Brown, who I call like, he's like our leader. He was joking a while ago, like he rattles because he always has so many supplements and things with him. Like if someone says to try it, like, you know, as long as it's safe, why not? Uh, right. Because there aren't any set answers right now.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Fun- so functional medicine definitely for me is something that I think that, thorough- and again, it's 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 usually not super covered by insurance. Um, some of the blood work that they request might be depending on your insurance plan, things like that. So, uh, something for me that I, again, like think should really be pushed as much as possible, especially with, uh, frustrating things like this, that the current conventional medical system doesn't necessarily have an answer to yeah. that takes us to your third point, <laughs> uh, a little bit, nice segue, hopefully, of so strategies that physios can use to help, uh, patients when graded exercise is contraindicated, because Again, uh, that's something that happens here, right? They say like, "Yeah, you just don't don't go too hard because like you're gonna make it worse or you're gonna exacerbate your own thing." Uh, so, the, and again, everyone's learning as we go a little bit with this thing, but yeah, share with us your experience and and maybe advice you have for folks, either as practitioners or as patients. Yeah.
1: So one of the big things early on is to, to find out in your history, if the person has post-exertional malaise, post-exertion symptom exacerbation, we're just different terms, but basically like the same thing. If they're crashing, if after any kind of exertion they're done, like I was already describing because that's a big indicator that graded exercise, what we typically would do with people is not going to be appropriate and pushing them like one more set, Come on, keep going. Is, will make them worse. And we already know your patients want to please us and they're going to push more and they might not recognize like this is bad. Like I currently am seeing, I have one patient with long COVID, and they had gone through. I tweeted about this pulmonary rehab because they also they were um, from the acute COVID and have some other pulmonary conditions already, and crashed after every session and didn't yes. know what that was. And were telling me they they missed a couple sessions because it was so bad. Got back and they're like, now we got to go even harder." And like that's not like the the, the response. You should see a typical response to exercise. And if they're crashing, if they're getting worse then the graded exercise is not appropriate. For some people it could be, if they don't have those crashes, then it could be like more of a traditional progression. So in that case, then we're looking at, or if they have dysautonomia too, that's really important that we're not just pushing, standing up, you know, very big dynamic exercise, starting with breathing. That's a really big thing, getting some good supine diaphragmatic breathing, Teaching them how to do that. Many people tend to be like, hyperventilating and like a lot of accessory breathing. Right. I was doing that and didn't even realize, and I'm a PT. Um, so I, I working
0: would on say, that. <laughs> I would say 98% of the people I assess, a, even virtually, that's the first thing I do. I, and I just tell them take a deep breath if we're on camera here. And um, yeah, 98%, the only people yeah. who do it right are people who have either been told by someone like you or I, they're yeah. like, hey, let's do this and let's go through this and change that pattern. Or if they're like performers, like that, that know oh, yeah, how to really yeah. engage their diaphragm. If they're yeah. not one of those two things, uh, then everybody just breathes wrong, especially women, got to stick your chest out and s- suck your belly buttons in and, and, and that get. and yeah. again, I, I, I do need to go on this little rant real quick, sorry, uh, if you're, oh, yeah. you know, uh, is, is uh, Pilates and yoga, love that cue of like, suck your belly button to your spine, um, which I think it has its place. You want to be able to like vacuum and have the skill to do it, but then they get yeah. taught. And again, most people I see, coming from that world who've been given that cue, go to like, that's how I'm supposed to live. And right. and again, then they just, it reinforces worse breathing patterns. So anyway, I just, I needed to-, to Oh, I'm gonna, work. I'll
1: add to that because since I dance, um, mm-hmm. is particularly in ballet, you hold your core, <laughs> like right. at no means do you, at any time do you let go even when you're extending back, you're still holding it. Like that's a thing. And you're learning to like literally isometrically contract everything you possibly can as you're moving. Um, so for me, like ballet has been helpful for movement, but I look at my Garmin during class and my stress score goes up and my heart rates up. And it's like, Oh, because I'm not breathing properly. Yeah, Everything's tight. I'm holding everything. So I've been, that's something I've been working on is like changing my brain to be able to mm-hmm. breathe better when I dance. Yeah, Yeah, that's a big one. That's actually, that's a really, really
0: big one. Yeah, that's huge. And yeah, I think for most people, that's it's always the first thing I go to, no matter what the diagnosis is, no matter why I'm working with that human, um, I'm I'm like, let's take a look at your breathing. Cause if we can fix Mm -hmm. that and you take 23,000 breaths a day, it's it's the thing that we do the most. And uh, once we can make that switch, I find significant, maybe it fixes 5% of things, uh, but that's a pretty big percent, like (laughs) without having to do much else, just like, just breathe a little better. If you're driving and you're, you're freaked out in a car, uh, you know, and someone cuts you off, instead of like freaking out, just learn how to control mm-hmm. your physiology. I actually have uh, Physiology First on tomorrow on on here. If you're familiar mm-hmm. with that channel on uh, Instagram,
1: things like that. It's exciting.
0: Yeah. So they talk about some of that concept. And then there was another, I'll, I'll give another shout out. Actually, I, I think it was Andrew Huberman, who's a very interesting dude to follow. Uh, and he basically was making the argument on an, another podcast I was listening to about that we, before we even get a driver's license, we should get like a breathing license. Um, so like, you should learn you should learn how like, oh, if I take, you know, if I can take a deep belly breath, it's gonna change my physiology. And like, I yeah. go from being yeah. angry and maybe wanting to go shoot somebody, um, to like, you know, calming down and, and being like, oh, okay, that guy cut me off, but nothing happened. And okay, you can go ahead of me in traffic, like, just take a big breath and you know and we we're taught this stuff and you know there's all the old idioms that our you know grandmothers or mothers used to say is like sit up straight and yeah. and you yeah. know just yeah take it take a deep breath before you you make your next statement or move um and and there's a lot of power and truth to that um i oh there you it have some- is
1: yeah, yeah. So I, I drive a lot for work. I drive a ridiculous amount every day. And so I have my Garmin. Um, we have a whole thing we do with them at proactivity. We were doing PT health study. And so I try to use the data and I would see when I was driving my stress score, which is a Garmin thing looking at HRV yeah. would go up regardless of if I was in traffic or actually stressed. Like I would, that would change. And I started working on my breathing while I'm driving. I worked with a respiratory physio from Canada and she gave me a lot of really great cues and i would practice like slow inhale even slower exhale i would do it to music since i dance uh-huh. and that helps i still have like weird stress scores which i think is the cognitive demand but that makes a difference and to be able to kind of to bring things down a little bit
0: yeah no, uh, yeah i love that and yeah um i've, I've done that on a few podcasts before mm-hmm. we don't have to do it right now but like i'll i'll, st- I'll pause and be like let's mm-hmm. do a four second inhale and an ex- eight second exhale so mm-hmm. if you're listening uh, to this at home. You can feel free to do some of that. Um, and again, it it, you cha- it changes how you feel. Um, and I, again, almost everyone I work with, I encourage them to do some like crocodile breathing, deep diaphragmatic breathing uh, before they go to bed, because it just kind of changes that nervous system from that fight or flight to rest and digest. And again, there's uh, a, a, another podcast we had on here. Ah, I miss New York City. Thank you for the uh, sirens in the back. Um,
1: <laughs> you can uh, hear that?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can. Uh, that's all right. Uh, not as bad as one of my recent guests, where he was in the hotel lobby in Florida, and uh, that was that was loud and 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 unpleasant. But that's okay. Um, distracting, I'll say. That's all right, James. I still love you um, if you're listening. And um, sorry, back to that. So breathing. Yeah. So it changes the, the whole uh, thing. The other guest that I had on was Stephen Horny, uh, who I have I'm having on for the third time, I think, in in a week or two. And uh, he pointed out that I think that diaphragmatic breathing. When you actually do it properly, it's actually massaging your vagus nerve. So there's some really powerful stuff there mm-hmm. that, it's, again, in terms of just the physiology and understanding the the importance of that. The other bit I'll connect to that for kind of my own self-promo, I guess, is I did a video recently about when you're wearing a mask, and luckily we're kind of coming out of wearing masks, Hope, uh, hopefully. But still, if you are wearing a mask, utilizing that time to just do nasal breathing. And so if you do nasal breathing, have you practiced just nasal breathing, by the way?
1: Yes, often. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Awesome, yeah. Helps. So helps. So and it's powerful stuff again there because that's the only way for the body, that my understanding physiologically to release nitrous oxide. And again, it almost taps <laughs> into deeper uh, connections physiologically of that vagus nerve and, and just again switching that uh, sympathetic nervous system over to that rest and digest. So the n- nitrous oxide, which is what is laughing gas, so that dentists yeah. give you um, for those at home. Uh, I'm sure you know that. Uh, but it's powerful stuff. It's it's a relaxing thing. Uh, but yeah, you can only do it through your nose. And again, the, the nasal breathing. So again, if anyone's not familiar, I would challenge you to do five minute, even walking and just do nasal breathing. If you have the mask on, it's a good reinforcer for me to just do the nasal breathing. But yeah, if you want to go as far as doing some cardio, um, and you want to get on elliptical or bike and just do five minutes of only nasal breathing, um, see how that feels. And it's going to really, really challenge you. And again, I'm sure you can attest to that as a, as a way to, uh, improve, overall lung function for sure
1: yeah that's been for me the diaphragmatic breathing has been a game changer um or i have back like i had uh costochondritis really bad like <laughs> a heart like i couldn't pick up light dumbbells it was so painful but that was tying into like doing so much like chest breathing <laughs> and it was like i was focusing on like supine and feeling everything kind of like compress again it just it made such a huge huge difference and for me that ties into also not just lung function but the dysautonomia that was a really big thing, and it ended tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system and trying to retrain. where I worked on a lot in the beginning with this super slow full exhale, where it was uncomfortable—not painful, but very uncomfortable—because I hadn't been doing that in months and months. <laughs> and now I'm able. Now I can fully exhale, and it feels it's fine.
0: And that's what, that's been really helpful uh, for again for anyone listening at home. You, you, you mentioned costochondritis now. Uh, just to break that down that's basically an inflammation in between the ribs right um yep up in there sometimes along the sternum uh and so did but did that come from the breathing from the long covid
1: yeah that's the the theory with it i had it once like in college that was nothing it was for like a week so outside of that like i've been I'm fine s- i'm yeah. sure the
0: dancing probably um i would hypothesize predisposed you a bit to that with with the way again that breathing is taught and, yeah. and things like that with
1: yeah with certain styles of dance I predominantly yeah. tap dance and we're just mm. we're relaxed you can, it's fine okay ballet is the, the like yeah ballet one.
0: I thought you mentioned that sorry that uh yeah but yeah, yeah,
1: I yeah. Would think that would, yeah yeah ballet is what did, I was I yeah I had the costal before I got back to ballet I was trying to remember that <laughs> I got yeah you. but yeah so the thought was that like, I was just very like here all the time, and anything I would try to do that, like if I for some reason had to do something this way, was searing, searing pain because I didn't have that mobility anymore. Yeah, <laughs> everything was here, so it was a lot of work to try to calm things down, but it made a huge, huge difference. The breathing's been big, especially going back then. It patients breathing, and there's so many we go forever, so many benefits too. We're just working on breathing, yeah. And today, the patient I was working with was asking, like, what's my goal? Should I try to do this for 10 minutes a day? And I'm saying, no. It's, it's hard to not want to set goals like that. If I did five minutes today, I'm going to do five and a half tomorrow because our symptoms fluctuate so much. And it's, you have to teach yourself to not feel like you are digressing, that you're doing worse because you did less than the day before. It's kind of going with how you feel that day. Um, and if symptoms are flaring up for whatever reason, all right, then maybe we don't do all the, the breathing, which can be really taxing. You might think of it mm-hmm. as not much, but it can be especially on COVID can be really taxing and finding other like strategies to help them cope with their symptoms, as opposed to, again, like, here's what you did today. We're going to do a little bit tomorrow and a little bit more the next day. Yeah, That just, that gets very frustrating. It teaches you then to like push through symptoms, which you shouldn't be doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's one of the all, all, other reasons we were talking a little before the call of uh, you're more in a traditional PT setting, mm-hmm. right? Insurance-based, so you might see the people mm-hmm. twice a week or once a week yeah. versus, uh, I, at some point I realized that I'm I'm like, I feel like there's a better way. And the way I work with folks now is I connect with them every single day. So oh. of, of course I charge more, I'm, I don't go through insurance, yeah. but you know, I, I feel like, you know, for those that can, uh, go through that system, it, it just, we we're more likely to be like, again, like, oh, tell, let me know if you're really sore from what we did on mm-hmm. Monday. And then we can back off on Tuesday. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead with the plan. Yeah. But if I'm not there to have that conversation, like, again, most people aren't texting their physical therapist, like, hey, I'm really sore, or I expect, or you know, you, you just don't know, you don't have that communication. So that's another problem I saw with the current medical system. And I said, let's, let's figure out how we can fix it. And, and there are, there are solutions out there. Hopefully, maybe, yeah. hopefully. Um, I did want to that's, come back. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I say that's something actually like I will text with my patients because I want to make sure they like, nice. feel free to ask questions and things regardless of why I'm seeing them. It could be the most right. straightforward, simple orthopedic thing. But to have that line of communication, yeah, because if you only see them once or twice a week, um, that they're waiting like you know, five days to like ask you something. Yeah. It could be like such a simple thing like, oh, here, try this instead. Or let's yeah, do this, you know, rather than yeah. having to, to wait.
0: Yeah. And I want to challenge. Uh, and I think the only way we're going to make big change down the, down the rabbit hole is, or down the, down, down the chain or whatever is, is by getting patients, the consumer, especially to vote with their dollar, so to speak. And yeah. so if you're in a situation where, you know, I understand the, the, uh, desire to go through insurance, cause that's always the first thing I get asked is like, do you take insurance? And I say, no, and here's why. Um, and so I do want to challenge patients, especially if they're listening or, or pass along this kind of concept. Two two things I talk tell a lot of patients is one, yeah, ch- challenge like you should be getting VIP treatment. So you know if somebody's willing to text you, like that that should be the bare minimum. Uh, whether yeah. you're emailing them or or able to text with your your PT, and and again, there's some continuity of care there, uh, and there's somebody who actually cares about what's happening to you. Um, and then the other one too, I always say is is if they don't have a squat rack or a barbell in in their clinic, then you shouldn't go there. Um, so that that's a it's a whole nother conversation that we could certainly go down the path of. But uh, I am curious um, we talked about trying a bunch of different things, functional medicine. Um, are there any supplements, <laughs> nutritional changes, uh, that you've looked at, talked about again, and especially cause you're in those circles, um, in PT Twitter, that's been brought up of possibly again, helping improve. Cause again, uh, going through what I went through, uh, and, and just being like, I want to get back to getting my lung capacity hundred percent. And I, I like being active and, and you know, I feel like I'm I'm pretty close to that. So, is there anything you've explored or looked at in that sense?
1: Yeah, there hasn't been any, I was like one step thing that like works for everybody. But so this ties into also me. So we're at work at Proactivity, um, very very health focused which is beautiful. And a well, big thing is looking at your overall like inflammatory load and all the different things that can contribute to increased inflammation, which people with long COVID are experiencing. So trying to cut back, just like typical like processed sugar, processed foods, getting more plant based to try to calm down that inflammation. No, like, I, I honestly couldn't even remember a specific there right now because there's so many. I feel like every person I've talked to is trying something different, whether it's their own personal thing or they're working with whatever, you know, healthcare provider, um, whether it's traditional medicine or not traditional medicine. But the general consensus on diet seems to be trying to decrease that inflammatory load, really avoiding processed sugars, dairy. I'm, for the most part, vegan. Sorry, this is my dog, Roxy. <laughs> um, okay. Trying to cut down on animal products, trying to cut down meat, chicken, fish, all that kind of stuff. And look more at like a plant-based diet, but again, not a general thing. Not everybody's doing that. Not everybody's, as you know, open to doing that. Yeah. But the way I kind of look at that is like, couldn't hurt. <laughs> look, it's, it, it's not going to hurt. I already kind of eat that anyway.
0: Your dog is in there. I'll show my dog sleeping back here. Oh. Yeah. A little doggy love. Sorry if you guys are on audio; you don't get to see the, the <laughs> fun dog. Oh, you get you get to hear it. So, since you, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um yeah no dairy yeah, is one yeah
1: go ahead yeah well that too the, the, on, the, it's interesting for me on like the patient side because i can as a pt and at explain all these recommendations and then on the other end like i don't have the energy to go food shopping like i go to the, mm. what i explain is like you'll get this a suburban bodega is around the corner <laughs> me. so yeah. not always the best options for things but there's some like produce i can get but then when you're looking at, well, if you can cook, then like, I can't cook because I, the energy it takes to yeah. prepare a meal, to think about it, cook, clean the dishes, the like meal prepping even like, yeah, that's, that's too much. When I have to like weigh out, where do I need to put my energy? Like, that's why I look at it. What are the things I have to do? What are the things that are like, I really want to do. But, eh, maybe I don't need to do it. It's okay. Or the stuff that like, yeah, this is just like kind of extra stuff. So that makes it really challenging then. This is probably the, in some respects, like, some of the worst I've eaten in a while, just from like a not having the energy to to eat better slash not having an amazing grocery store within like a short distance from my house. So that's a really important thing to consider with patients too, is we can make all these amazing recommendations, but with long COVID and other post viral illnesses too, when energy is really minimal, um, how do we help them do what they need to do, but at the same time, not taxing their limited energy system?
0: Yeah that's interesting. I mean, I, I, am a problem solver by nature and, you know, uh, something that, uh, the first thing that came to me, my mind is again, obviously, yeah, if you have the resources, uh, in that kind of situation, almost get like a personal shopper or what task (sighs) rabbit kind of thing. And like you have them go to like Costco for you or something. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that's, that's even possible or, yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's ordering groceries and things like that too, but yeah, you still have to cook it and all that stuff. So anyway, I I go to that, quickly. But um, I want to come back to to your your Garmin you mentioned. I mm-hmm. used the Whoop, uh, which okay, I wanted yeah. to, to, to shout out real quick. So what kind of, um, you mentioned, obviously there's tracking your heart rate uh, and HRV, which is interesting that they were able to track that Like through the, my understanding of HRV, and I've looked at it for a long time, is it's really only accurate um, for kind of recovery and, and like first thing in the morning. So you mentioned that it's tracking it kind of during when you, when you mentioned that it's like looking at your stress while you're in traffic and things like yeah. that, is it yeah. able, is it looking at, you're talking about like the next morning uh, where you had like a stressful day or is it actually tracking it in the traffic?
1: Yeah, in real time. Like, and I oh, wow. will like, yeah, I'll pull, this is something, I didn't do this in the beginning. I didn't, it was also really cognitively banning in the beginning, honestly, but now I've been trying to look at stuff more. Yeah, so I will pull up the app in real time when I can mm-hmm. and just look at, try to look at trends. Yeah. Um. There are points where, so I'll give a real example. When I drive, sometimes it could be far and you'll see my, not, it's not high, but my heart rate will start trending up. Nothing's mm-hmm. it's not high by any means. Like it's going right. from like low 60 to mid seventies, right. like crazy, but it's trending up as I'm driving, not even traffic, just like normal driving. And then you'll see a general trend over the, so it's like an hour and a half drive. You'll see a general trend over the next like two and a half hours that is gradually is coming back down again. Like mm. that's not. That's not great. <laughs> um, yeah. And the same with the stress score. You'll see my stress score like shoot up when I'm driving and mm-hmm. then it will gradually like come back down again. So yeah. I try to correlate that. I can't obviously always help when that happens, but I try to look at when that is going on. Is there any things that I can do to try to work with it? Like I would be eating in my car because I'm driving a lot and that's what I have time. So like, well, maybe if I don't eat, because that is like a stress to digest food, but that didn't yeah. make a difference. Or maybe mm. if I don't drink coffee, maybe that'll change it, but that didn't make a difference. Right. But there are some things where I found where I would, like, If I had a particularly just general normal stressful day Mm -hmm. that I'm just tired, whatever is busy in the clinic, as soon as I get home, I will lie supine and I literally can like watch my heart rate come back down, watch the stress score start to change, especially if I'm working on the diaphragmatic breathing. So I've been trying to find ways to like to use this in real time. Hmm. And then with Proactivity, with our um, with our program now with the Garmins, we have a whole dashboard and we have, it's really neat to look at um, more data that's available to see. So that looks at like a bigger picture. You can look at trends over time, like meaning days or weeks versus using the app when I'm looking at that in real time, because I'll use that to like make a decision like, should I try to go jog a mile? Let's right. see how I look that day. And right. not that it's a definite, definite science, but it has made a difference. If I see a higher stress day, right. then I'll rest more. If I see my heart rates up for whatever reason, I'll rest more. Even if I don't feel off, I'm hopefully preventing crashes. That's a yep. big thing, preventing crashes because they worsen symptoms. They possibly can be prolonging recovery recover. We don't definitely know, but possibly. So trying to prevent crashes is a big one. So I use the data as much as I can.
0: Yeah. So it's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, the whoop gives us kind of, so it's tracking it, it. gives us the recovery score in the morning. Uh, so I don't know if the Garmin similar, but yeah. So like, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, and that's where the HRV reading, and for those not familiar, I'll say real quick, HRV heart rate variability. So instead of just looking at like my resting heart rate, which I've also been tracking and monitoring as a data point, uh, for me, I, before COVID I was in like the, the mid to high forties for my resting heart rate in the morning when I'm super calm and, mm-hmm. and rested. But, uh, since COVID, like during COVID, during my, my not so great time, uh, I was in the seventies for resting heart rate, which is not Mm -hmm. very healthy. Um, again, it's still like like resting heart rate between 60 and hundred. We were talking about the medical model before that's still (laughs) technically normal. Uh, and you know, and again, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I want to be down as as low as I can be. So for me to go from 48 to 70, uh, you know, in the seventies was definitely not great. I'm back into like 54, 53. And I'm, I'm tracking that every day, but the uh, heart rate variability is not just looking at how many times it beats per minute, but it's actually showing you your kind of readiness and how physiologically, ready you are for exercise theoretically so mm-hmm. it's actually looking between each beat so the first beat and it, i might be totally off on this but it might be like 0.9 seconds and the next one might be 0.7 then 1. Okay. 1.1 then and and we're just looking to see how far apart and the further the more variability you wouldn't think that uh instinctively our brains mm-hmm. don't think that way but the more variability actually the higher that score mm-hmm. is that's actually better because now you're more prepared for a crazier day in traffic or to go do some kind of again uh, intense workout, that kind of thing. So yeah, super interesting. Um, and yeah, a, a lot of times, and my wife uses it as well. Uh, a lot of times, I would say she's and she has uh, an autoimmune condition uh, that she got diagnosed with the functional medicine doctor. Uh, that again is not would not show up in traditional medicine, but we're trying to mitigate that yeah. uh, through through you know because it hasn't affected her thyroid yet, which is kind of the the bare minimum for traditional medicine, but those signs are there. So now again, we're getting into deeper uh, lab reading and things like that. So anyway, um, super interesting about, yeah, like checking that score and having a device tell us like, hey, you are you might even feel great. And what I was gonna say about my wife especially is, is she tends to be like, oh, my score says uh, it's really bad, but I feel really good. Or the opposite of yeah. my score says I'm really good and I feel like shit. So, yeah. you know, that that happens, that happens. a lot there. Um, yeah. I look again, at I-
1: you. Garmin has, um, you remember this, it's also the body battery, which is like zero to 100. And that's looking at recovery. So you ideally want your battery to go up to 100 when you're sleeping, um, which part of this I learned because mine is, it typically doesn't, and in part is looking at your estimated VO2 max. So mine, I'm assuming, Mm. is getting worse because I haven't been running for like almost a year and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that makes it a little trickier for it to go back up. But that's the thing I'll look at too, is if I, am I achieving that overnight? Typically not. And then just kind of using that as like a rough gauge also to how much I can actually push the next day.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Um, coming back to a previous flow, cause I, I go off on tangents and I, I, this is why I took, I took a note here and I did want to come back to this. So we talked about supplements and a previous guest I had on Jeff Evans started a specific supplement company that has a product called flow, which he sent me a nice sample of a month sample after I, uh, he was on here. And, uh, luckily I got COVID and now I can try. Um, but but it, it basically is meant to be a, an, a, an a opening up oxygen pathways. And it's an herbal, all herbal uh, kind of supplement. Now I've been exercising more regularly and I don't know how much of this is like just the regular effect, but okay. I yeah. definitely, I definitely have been improving um, since taking it. And I tried to actually hold off on taking it until I felt like I was getting, you know, get, got a little more flow okay. and consistency. Ironically, the product is called Flow um but yeah anyway uh it's something i'm I'm gonna look into and as i come off of it and i finish my month supply i'm gonna definitely see um how i feel without it and then see if i can reintroduce it so uh at some point and and i would definitely uh i have to shout him out again as a a, you know friend and also former guest uh and then if that's something you're interested in trying um we can definitely probably connect you after the call and all that so um i'd be curious yeah stuff like that would be any kind of help for, because again, at the end of the day, we're trying to open up pathways. So other stuff like beta alanine, um, you know, again, at the high end of, of physical performance, um, I want, you know, it's supposed to improve like, you know, one or 2%, and maybe you're going from running whatever, 12.2 mm-hmm. seconds to 12.1, you know, and yeah. 12.0 seconds, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But again, when you're dealing with stuff like this, um, it, 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 I imagine every little bit that we're going to do you know, my, my thing on social media is get 1% better every day. Yeah. So if we can do little things to improve little by little, I mean, that, that, that definitely, I don't, and then there's no harm in most of these uh, mm-hmm. kind of supplements that I talk about at least. And, and, you know, there's very, very few ever side effects. The only side effect I ever heard of beta alanine, uh, my friend who plays the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, it made him very stinky. Mm-hmm. It it made his sweat very smelly. So, <laughs> and his uh his partner at the time was like, you you cannot take that anymore so that's not
1: appreciated in a dressing room
0: (laughs) yeah that too yeah exactly um yeah no i i I appreciate it i think we covered a lot of fun stuff and i want to be respectful of your time sounds like you had a really long day um i always have long
1: days (laughs) but (laughs) uh
0: yeah no i'm I'm, i I think we covered a lot and again hopefully uh i'm excited Uh, yeah i checked out that other episode of um the long, co- long COVID physio podcast. Yep. And, and I recommend folks do that, especially if they know anybody dealing with this. And and hopefully, yeah, we we start to get a lot more um, data, information, science coming out. Mm-hmm. And and again, that stuff is all going to change probably, like you said, daily. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we get some some good stuff coming out soon.
1: I'm going to plug long COVID physio a little bit because this is really yeah. great to know. So we have our peer support group. If anybody is a PT, PTA with a, with a we're long COVID physio on Facebook. You can join. Um, outside of that, on our website, which is longcovid.physio, we have, like I said, the podcast. All the epi- you can find all the episodes on there. There's audio versions. You can go on YouTube and watch them. I, have, I did one of the first episodes is talking specifically about how it's affected me as a runner and a dancer, because is a big part of my identity. Um, so we have PTs with it talking about their experiences. And like I said, the one with Jenna, we have experts on talking about whatever their field is within longcovid, um, lending in their expertise. We have a blog where some of us have written about our experiences so that is available so patients have found those really helpful to hear Mm -hmm. from other people because you start to think you sound crazy because (laughs) it really does there's so many i'll give an example i i at my with our employer clients i was talking to someone he had been hospitalized and had a whole still has a crazy mix of symptoms and then we had talked about being sweaty because i'll text about um tweet about hashtag team sweaty because with the dysautonomia that happens.
0: Mm. And he
1: was just like, You get sweaty too. I'm like, I get sweaty too. <laughs> Stuff like that, that. but it helps though when you hear that and you're like, you're yeah. going through this. You have all these really weird multi-system mm. things going on. So patients really appreciate like the podcast in the blog when they can, yeah. you know hear about our experiences. And then there's also a resources page that goes um topic by topic. So mm. like post-exertional malaise or exercise and breathing pattern dysfunctions, oh, there's a ton of them that are up. And one more really great thing that's on, on our website that's available elsewhere, in the UK, they have AHP, the Allied Health Professions, and Rachel Moses has been amazing. She runs their YouTube, and she has posted tons of amazing episodes with all kinds of clinicians, researchers, patients. I was on one talking about long COVID. So okay. there's a bunch of them, this AHP leader, but you can find the link on our website. Um And then she did a day of learning all about long COVID. i want to say eight. I could be wrong. Different sessions going from research and PT, all kinds of stuff. It's really great. So you can learn like the broad range of what's going on, hearing what the speech language pathologists are doing, what the OTs are doing. So there's a lot of information that's up on our website. And I say Darren Brown is our leader with this. And he and a couple other um, people in our group contributed to the briefing paper from World Physiotherapy that just came out on long COVID rehabilitation. So really, really important, great paper to read, nothing that it's, you're not gonna be super overwhelmed, not a super, super long document. That's really great. If somebody needs like a, what do I need to know as a PT on long COVID? Thank you. Yeah, that is <laughs> up. You can find that on our website. World Physio has been posting it everywhere too. Yes, yeah, great, mm. great website.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, it's just, again, hopefully we, we start getting some better answers soon with all this stuff, but um, yeah, just really cool to see this community come together and and just trying to find answers together and and probably you know a bunch of great minds hopefully um, coming together to, to come up with some good solutions. So really appreciate it. any other places uh, we can find you, Pete, on Twitter. Uh, oh, Twitter,
1: you know. <laughs> I'm on Tap Physio too. Yes, my your on first, Tap your Physio first one
0: got got suspended. <laughs>
1: for posting videos of copyrighted music and they're not helping me get it back. (laughs) So on tap physio too, which is really frustrating because I can't go back to all my old tweets about long COVID. (laughs) It's as of March that I have like this new one. But yeah, I'm on Twitter often. Whether it's connecting with other clinicians, researchers, patients with long COVID. I talk about other stuff too, but long COVID is obviously the really big one. And Twitter, not just PT Twitter, but in general, has been really, really helpful. Um, that's how long COVID started, that a bunch of us patients found each other in social media. And there are groups like um body politic and patient-led, who are literally leading the research. They are like PI on the papers. They're mm-hmm. the ones saying we need to study this. And what I experienced in the beginning was. You know, I couldn't find information, but I said, well, people are dying. So right. in terms of priority, it's not me, it's the people who are dying. Right. Um, but they're saying, no, but we still have problems. We need to do something. And if traditional healthcare systems aren't able to help us, well, we're gonna do it ourselves. So all the patients yeah. have been coming together, whether they work in healthcare research or not. And it's been really beautiful to see, like it's it's sad it's happening, but at the same time, it's really neat to see using social media for good. And how to connect mm-hmm. with people and that's how i find all the research i could never keep up with this trying to go through pubmed so i know which accounts to follow that they're going right. to be posting like the big articles coming out if there's a webinar or a conference and i can't attend it somebody's going to be live tweeting it and i can mm-hmm. just you know kind of follow the thread and get the key points on it All the they link everything that's available it's wonderful
0: awesome twitter's yeah. been amazing very cool awesome well yeah i think that's an awesome spot to leave off on um Plenty of places to find you and uh, guys. If you liked this podcast and you made it all the way through, uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and comment, and uh, s- uh, leave a rating and review. That's always good and helpful. Um, yeah, appreciate you listening. And Daria, not That's holler. <laughs> That's
1: a great holler. Oler,
0: oler, yes. o- oler, oler. Yep. Oler. Yes. Oler. Okay. So uh, it, it is probably no. I actually had a client from Australia that I would, I'd would i been working with a bunch and he was on here and his name is M-A-L-I. How would you pronounce that? Molly. That's Mally. the right way to do it, good for you. <laughs> I was just saying, I was saying Mali, like Mali, like Mali, anyway, but that was the wrong way, but I had him on here and that's, oh. that, and even though I'd been communicating with him mostly, uh, virtually, uh, it was the first time I had to like introduce his name and I was like, oh, I've been saying it wrong for like two years, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Anyway, so we'll leave it on that. And uh, do I have a '90s theme song that uh, we can get copyrighted for and have our account suspended for? No, maybe not really. I don't know. Yeah, let's finish off with La Bouche. We'll we'll finish off there. Don't copyright me, YouTube. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And.